is Hayden Avakian, your host, and you're listening to Viola Backstage. Here with me today is Dr. Ariana Malloy, a widely loved and requested podcast professor from the Communication Studies Department at Biola University. Dr. Malloy is well established in communication, seen through her outstanding awards, several publications, as well as a coach to other Biola faculty in her teaching and communication, all of which shows her passion for communication and her heart for Biola faculty and students. Welcome to Biola Backstage, Dr. Malloy. It is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Oh, wow. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Okay, this is kind of a random side note, but I looked you up on Rate My Professor. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I sound like a stalker. But I saw that you had five-star ratings, and after a few of your students raved about you, I'm honestly not surprised. (laughs) How can you not? You're amazing. Um, But is it true that professors look at Rate My Professor? I don't know if you have or I have to confess, until you mentioned that, I have never even gone near it, because I know that there's a lot that goes into those ratings. But I actually think it's important that students can see you know, what is being said. Um, I'm a little, I'm blushing right now. Um, So thank you for those ratings. That's very kind. Of course. Okay. Good to know because I've seen just the most like outrageous comments on there before. And I'm like, is this really true? But I've taken the professor's class and I think it's just students goofing off. I think often anytime you rate something, you get the extremes of people who are really happy and really unhappy. And so I think that's why we often tend to shy away from them, but they still give you a good sense of data. So good job, you. Seriously. (laughs) Thank you. And now you know you have five stars. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty. So I've compiled a couple of questions that I'd love to ask you. The first one being what got you into communication and let alone becoming a professor for it? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I have all these pictures in my mind that are circulating about that story. Honestly, I was the kind of person that graduated from high school having no clue how I was going to survive in college. College totally scared me. (laughs) I was very close to my family. I had a pretty great experience in high school. And um, I think that home has always been one of my favorite words. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to transition in my mind home with my family to home at a university. In fact, I have to tell you this very quick story. The very Please. first night that I was in my new dorm room mm-hmm. with a roommate I didn't know that well, thinking about sharing a bathroom with all these other people, <laughs> I was so petrified and so just overwhelmed by the newness of the experience mm-hmm. that without really thinking about it, I grabbed the keys to my car. This is like probably past midnight. Got in my car, drove all the way home walked inside my home. My parents are already asleep. I go into the bathroom, lock the door, and burst into tears. Oh, no. A few minutes later, my parents come down, and they're like, um, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't know how to do this. I just want to be a professional daughter. I don't know how to be an adult. And they were very kind. They comforted me, and then they drove me back and Mm -hmm. said, you know, you can always come home, but you got to do this. And so when I started college, I I started as a psych major because I thought that was very interesting. I loved a lot of my classes, but it didn't quite feel right. That fit didn't feel right. So I changed my major four more times, <laughs> um, one of which was like creative writing and, you know, one was English and all these different things. And I had taken communication classes throughout that time because some of those were required classes for any student. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. I actually loved it hmm. and I didn't know it was okay to love your major. I thought that that was too easy. I didn't realize that that's not the case for everybody. 
And so when I finally chose communication as my major, I was a junior and I really felt like I had come home circling back to that, that mm-hmm. name that I love home. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. That is such a testament. I'm sure to freshmen or transfers or anybody living here that it's so normal to feel uncomfortable yeah. in new shoes and yeah. that's okay because yeah. you're not going to break in those shoes until you walk in them absolutely you know? absolutely so wow thank you for sharing that <laughs> story another question I have for you is from your students I've heard that you have a big heart for just even the word calling mm-hmm. and what that means and could you talk a little bit about calling and um, maybe even your research work Sure. Um, that you've Absolutely. Done with that. Well, even to pick up on the story that we just were talking about. Mm-hmm. So I finally got comfortable at college, right? I had a community. I loved my professors. I loved my major. Then I'm graduating. Then the question is no longer, so what's your major? It's what are you going to do after you graduate? That question was so hard for me. And of course, I came up with an answer that made other people feel good. Mm. But deep down, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted, I knew who I was in God. That was very clear to me. But I didn't know what that looked like post-college. And again, that that felt like shameful or like embarrassing. And I realize now that most people feel that they just don't really articulate that. So for me, my senior year of college, actually, I had this moment where I felt like the Holy Spirit asked me to surrender my future to him. Mm. And I remember I was working as an intern at a radio station, actually, and it was an outdoor concert and it was raining, pouring down rain. And the singers were singing about something And I just remember feeling like the Lord wanted me to look up. And I looked up and it was just, you know, darkness in the sky and rain. And I felt this prompting to surrender that desire for certainty. And so I did. And then interestingly, throughout that year, whenever it would rain, and by the way, I'm from Seattle, so it would rain a lot. Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) I would be reminded to surrender my future. Mm -hmm. So right after I graduated, I worked two part-time jobs and I volunteered in two other places, just trying to get a feel for things. Meanwhile, all my friends were either getting engaged because I, I did go to a Christian university. <laughs> yes. And, um, <laughs> the ring by spring. Exactly. <laughs> um, or they had an ideal internship or they were backpacking across Europe somewhere. Mm. But I actually moved back in home with my parents. I had no idea what I was going to do. And I thought that perhaps that thirst to do something meaningful was not meant for me. Maybe it was only in relationships and not work. I decided to get my master's only because I thought I could either get a, do a job that I don't love or I could get a graduate degree and help sharpen my, my expertise. And it wasn't until grad school that I fell in love with learning. Mm. I mean, I liked it in undergrad, but I fell in love with it in learning. I felt in, in my master's, I felt like I was this bird in a cage that the cage doors were open and I got to soar. So after that, um, I had all sorts of different experiences, but here's the deal. I was fascinated by the way Christians talk about work as a calling long before I experienced it myself. Wow. So I studied it. I studied the way feeling like work is a calling impacts our motivation, Mm -hmm. our satisfaction, our overall well-being. Because the, the data shows that more than any other people group in the workplace, if you feel called to work, you are more resilient. You are able to stick it out more than everyone else. You are you create motivation around you. It's called affective contagion. Now, the downside is that it also, you're the highest group to be burnt out Mm. because there's this holy obligation, this deep desire to make an impact and a responsibility, and it's hard to know when to say no. So as it relates to studying calling, I started studying that in my PhD, but again, I didn't really feel that in my own life until I got my job at Biola. Wow. Wow, that is so incredible. 
that um reminds me of jeremiah 29 11, for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord mm. plans to get, give you hope and a future and you know you you're looking right and you're looking left mm-hmm. and oh this person's backpacking in europe and this person <laughs> yeah. is now about to get married in mm-hmm. six months and you're like i don't know what i want to do with my life and i think that that's such a powerful message because in the culture we live in it's very fast-paced it's yeah. very hurried and, you know, people are already asking, you know, what are you going to do five mm-hmm. years from now? You know, mm-hmm. what what job are you going to have? Um, where do you want to live? How many kids do you want? Mm-hmm. And there's such a beauty of your story of how, like, you kind of went against that grain. You mm-hmm. literally, you moved home <laughs> and you um, had a moment where you're just looking up and, God, I need to surrender. Yeah. And, yeah, there's such a powerfulness to that because I think, you know, we were never created to be in control. Absolutely. And the moment we're able to place our surrender and our um, agenda in Jesus's hands, that's when he, I know from my story at least, and it seems like yours too, finally says, okay, dear child, Mm -hmm. like now I'm going to take you into the plans that I have for you, give you hope in a future because you finally learn to give me control, you know? I think that that's such a powerful message with your story that we were never the ones meant to be in control and we need to surrender. And from that place of surrender comes just a multitude of blessings, which I know now you're here at Biola teaching at, in my opinion, the most wonderful school in the world. (laughs) It's pretty great. (laughs) But yeah, there's so much fruit that comes from your story. So thank you for sharing that. Totally. Thank you for asking. And I think the important thing about calling is to know that it's about your relationship with the caller. Mm. When we get focused on trying to figure out our calling, it can become an idol. The whole point of calling is to lead us to relationship with the caller, which, by the way, is dynamic, ever-changing. And so so it's okay that we don't always know. I think that certainty is really a myth of adulthood. <laughs> we never really are certain. But hope is the anchor of our souls. Mm. And Jesus is our hope. And so when we are ever in constant communication with our caller, and we have confidence that he is continuing to develop in us our skills and our passions for a purpose— then uncertainty doesn't feel quite as overwhelming. Yeah. Wow. That's so good. I know. Even just another testament to Proverbs 3, 6, which just says, in all your ways, submit to him. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. in all your ways, like submit to him, surrender to him, and he will make your path straight. So, wow. Such a beautiful story. I need people in the back saying like, hallelujah. (laughs) 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 Woohoo. Alrighty. So I've heard word around town that you are writing a book. Oh my. (laughs) Can you just tell me a little bit about the book you're writing and what inspired you to write it? So really in academic circles, the goal is to, is to write and to publish, to Mm -hmm. demonstrate what we are teaching in the classroom and to further develop and cultivate those skills in ourselves. So I've been really honored to publish some articles, some scholarly journal articles It wasn't until a couple years ago when I was asked to write some book chapters that I realized writing in a book, you get to bring your voice as a teacher, as a professor, into that text a little bit more strongly. Mm -hmm. So actually, in my mind, I wasn't planning on writing a book until my next sabbatical, which is a little ways away, because it takes some time. But someone in my life, a mentor, came to me and said, I've seen some of your talks because I get asked to talk at different places. I really think this could be a book. I said no. So he asked me to think about it, (laughs) came back to me and said, I really think this can be a book. And I said, well, can I write it with someone else? Because I don't know how to do this. Mm -hmm. And he said, nope, you need to do it on your own. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I have a two and a half year old at home. And I am just trying to figure out how to be a mom and a professor and a friend and a wife and, you know, all those things. And um, 
but I, I realized something. I have often said no to things that felt scary. And that was my only reason to say no. Mm. And honestly, I've regretted every one of those times. Wow. So I thought about it for several days and prayed about it. And I thought, are th- is there any other reason that I should say no other than it feels scary? I couldn't come up with one. I mean, obviously time and all of those things. But I finally said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this. So this book in many ways is the culmination of my research where I'm studying and talking about calling, but specifically talking about how we are experiencing burnout in a whole new way. There mm-hmm. is regular burnout of I don't like what I'm doing anymore. And that's that's intense. You know, it impacts our motivation, our mental health, our physical health. But the burnout that comes from calling, when we are experiencing burnout in our calling, it is no longer I don't like what I'm doing. It's I don't know who I am anymore. Mm, wow. And that can sever you to the core. Now, in my mind, I'm always like, how can we fix this, right? Well, in other research fellowships that I've had, I also studied the concept of humility. And what we found in researching humility is that, first of all, we as Christians have a very poor understanding of what humility is. We confuse it with modesty or insecurity. It's, yep. not, it's neither of those things. But what we found, actually, in the research that we've done, um, I, I did an article with, with some colleagues in 2019 that actually won an award um, on the, the connection between humility and protecting yourself from burnout. And there are some key factors there. So my book is about humility as this surprising antidote to toxic burnout. Honestly, burnout is one of the words that is not talked about enough. Yeah. Because we're in such a fast-paced culture. And it's no wonder why, I don't know, like suicide rates are Mm -hmm. even rising or Mm -hmm. all these mental health issues. And it's because, you know, we were created for um, an easy yoke and a light burden. And when when we step outside of those parameters, you know, all of a sudden everything goes downhill from there. So I'm sure that your book is just going to be a blessing to so many people. Thank you. It's still in its early stages, but I'm excited. And I think my hope would be that this is the kind of book you could give to anybody, you know, for a Christmas present or 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 get together and read about it because I want it to make want it to be something that is approachable. Mm. And that we can learn and listen to the rhythms of what God has commanded us to do, which is to walk humbly with him. Mm-hmm. We, we hear all the time in scripture about how Jesus was humble. So we need to have a healthy understanding of humility. And we need to know how that might actually help protect us from going to a healthy calling to going to an unhealthy calling, which is job idolatry or workaholism. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's awesome. I'm so excited to read your book. When it comes out, I'll have to search your name up <laughs> again and be like, okay, when is this book? When is the book coming out? Um, we'll see. You know? uh, definitely in the next couple of years. It takes a little while, and it depends on how much um, I get done in between classes. So we'll see. Yes. Okay. Well, I'll be excited for that. I'm sure <laughs> many of the listeners and your students will be as well. Thank you. Lastly, I would love to close with a question, as I do with everyone else. What is one piece of advice you have for Biola students? You know, I'm imagining right now, for all of you listening, that we're sitting at a table together, enjoying our favorite cup of coffee, and I could look at you in the face, each one of you. And here's what I would want you to know. You don't have to have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. You really don't. There's always a third option, you know, being proactive and reactive and What do you do next? And do you control everything or do you plan nothing? And if you truly believe that God is with you, he is your coach. So to not let the uncertainty strangle you, 
So that's, that's kind of the first thing. The second thing I would say is the habits you're forming now will become a lifestyle later. Mm. And if I could give the gift that, you know, any kind of gift to students, it would be to understand something that I didn't understand until my PhD program, which is to Sabbath. If you've been in any of my classes, um, this is not something new. Like, we talk a lot about it. Um, I did not know how to do that. I've always understood how to tithe. Like, mm-hmm. Even when I was really little, I had a little allowance, and I, my parents, like, taught me how to tithe. And I always knew, like, everything I have is God's, and tithing is giving a portion of that as in a symbolic gesture of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Sabbath is the same thing. And we live in a society of scarcity where everything feels survival mode. And when we're in survival mode, we don't see things clearly. Mm-hmm. And we act in rash ways that don't have long-term mindsets because survival mode is not meant to be long-term. Wow. For students right now, I would say, don't wait to figure out how to Sabbath. Lean into the, the discomfort of it. Find someone who does it well and ask them how they do it. And start that practice now because it will be a blessing and a buoy for the rest of your life. Wow, that is an incredible piece, two incredible pieces of <laughs> advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Maybe I'll, you know, make that an excuse for one of my professors. I was sabotaging you <laughs> I'm so sorry I couldn't do my homework. Well, of course that would not be the way to do that, right? And in fact, just as a, as a side note, when you have the discipline of Sabbath, at least for me, the day before I Sabbath and the day after, I have to work twice as hard. So, of course, any act that we do in the name of Jesus should never be something that gives an, us an excuse to be less than, than what we should be. Mm-hmm. That's so funny that you just said that. I did my first Sabbath last week, actually, without even knowing you talk about this. And it is so true. It's it's not an excuse, you know, as I made the joke earlier, mm-hmm. but it's not an excuse to not get your work done. Mm-hmm. It's not an excuse to procrastinate. Mm-hmm. It has such a purpose that's rooted in using that whole day to worship Jesus, yeah. you know. Maybe it's worshiping him by reading a book about him or taking a walk on Mm -hmm. the beach and just admiring every little intricate detail that he's created. And so I think that that's such a great piece of advice of um, just the importance of of Sabbathing. So it's always hard for me, honestly. It's never easy. And I've been doing that for many years. Mm -hmm. It's but it's one of those things where, you know, a positive consequence is to feel good from it. But that's not actually the reason. The reason is to be worshipful to the Lord, exactly as you said. Mm, Wow. Thank you so much. Well, Dr. Malloy, this has been an absolute pleasure and so encouraging to Mm. interview you. I feel so full after this. (laughs) Thank you. I'm really honored to be here. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. And to all of you listeners, once again, I'm Hayden Avakian, your host, and you are listening to Biola Backstage. We will see you in two Fridays. (music) 